What's that? What in seven hells is a podcast? All right, then, let's get on with it. Welcome to the RGGEDU podcast, where Rob and Gary talk and drink my damn wine with your favorite photographers. This podcast is brought to you by Sekonic and the new L858 Speedmaster Light Meter, the first multifunction light meter to measure flash duration and HSS. Its expanded ISO range and higher sensitivity in low light make it the perfect companion for any photographer or filmmaker looking to get accurate and consistent results in their work. Go to Sekonic.com to learn more about this incredible tool and see how it can help you unlock your true photographic potential. In this episode, we're joined by Rod Clark, the CEO of Wine Country Camera Filter. I think it's the world's best filter holder, right? I certainly hope so. It's definitely the sexiest. It's the most beautiful, that's for sure. (laughs) Thanks for that. Thanks for that compliment. Thanks for having me on board, guys. I really appreciate it. Good to see you again. You've designed one hell of a product. It's a beautiful product. How did it get to that point? So that's a a pretty good question there. Um, So I was the head of a a filter company. Um, I was the head of marketing for a filter company. And uh, what I realized was is that filter companies like to sell filters but they really don't care so much about how it gets attached, how it gets attached to filters. Um, and sort of the, the way back machine story is that I'm, I'm actually a photographer. I'm actually a really passionate photographer. And uh, I grew up um, in and around photography since I was like 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And I grew up um, around cinema as well. Like my parents work in the movie industry and do lighting and everything. And, uh, my dad still works on big TV shows as a lighting guy and everything. So uh, photography has been uh, a huge passion of mine and cinema as well. Um, and uh, I've taken a career in I, – I never wanted to be a professional photographer because I never wanted to have to shoot what other people shoot. So w- what I want to do with my life is I want to be part of that community. And I do really look at it as a community. I want to be part of – the photo and cinema community. And I want to be able to, to provide really great tools for the people in this community. And it's not one of these things where you come in and you go, I'm going to sell you something, take your money. This is one of these things where you come in and you go, okay, this is my tribe. And I want to make something that is so great that it really changes your experience. And it, and it either does one of two things. It, it makes what you do more fun or it makes what you do possible. Right. You know, I, I used to work with uh, Teradek, you know, mm-hmm. and I was their first uh, head of marketing. And we did things that allowed people to do on-screen monitoring. First time ever. Yeah. You know, the way that... I remember our, when that came out. It was, like, revolutionary. Yeah, and it was, like, it was one of these things where um, we added a value. We added a genuine value. So when I started the idea of Wine Country Camera... Um, and the reason it's named Wine Country Camera, I'm from California, but I also think about things that are timeless, things that um, can have a lasting value, something where um, if you buy this today, you're going to be able to use it for a long time, and it's not going to go in and out of fashion, um, just like as if you went to you know a winery and, and there were oak barrels and, or a covered bridge. You know, It's like this idea of not having um, the product be um, you know, like useless in a year. So, Almost disposable. Yeah. And and I really didn't think that was a, a, a good way to look at the product. I, I really wanted to create something magical. So I'm I'm a avid photographer and I started to really focus on what are the things that we can do um with with the product itself. 
you know, um, and I started to look at the way that uh, other filter companies are putting, for example, you're putting your uh, polarizer and there's like a 12 millimeter gap between the, the polarizer and the other filters. And you go, mm-hmm. well, geez, light's just going to pour in there, you know. And then I looked at the NDs and the NDs are being, you know, they have to be, have these horrible little gaskets on the filters and you have to grab the filter with the, like these little clutch plates and it bends the filters and it causes distortions. So I just started to think, okay, you know, how can I, how can I solve like every single one of those issues, right? And I have this designer that was like my next door neighbor and he was working with Microsoft. He was working, he was like the dude who prototyped the Surface tablet. Whoa. Oh, seriously? Yeah, like he's a badass. Like he, <laughs> like he designed the the freaking hand controllers for like the Xbox, you know? And he, oh, this guy's a baller. He's this a is, baller. Yeah. So Not it took me around. two years to get him to just be like, yeah, I'll do it. Like it took me a whole year to get him to say yes and a whole year to get the contract in place. So you had to keep inviting him over for dinner and get him loaded <laughs> okay, up here and like, whiskey. And like, dude, dude, come on. That's a lot of Taco Tuesdays. Yeah, it's, <laughs> dude, it's a lot of tequila. Yeah. So, and um, but, but he believes in the project and he's an integral part of the company and he's totally fucking top secret. <laughs> I'm never going to tell anybody his name. <laughs> and What's your address? <laughs> which means he really doesn't work for Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he actually started his own design firm and, and uh, left Microsoft. And, uh, but, um, so we just spent a ton, a ton of time and effort to try and solve all those problems. And we also just thought, all right, how can we just go all out, all out, you know? And there are so many design elements on this thing that are seemingly, um, like people, I get some flack sometimes. They go, why does it have wood handles? I go, oh, that's just for looks, you know, why does it have rosewood handles on it? I go, well, okay, but if you're on a cliff, in Iceland, and it's f- minus five degrees, aluminum is going to be minus 20. Yeah, it's not what you want to touch. I go, but if, you're, if, the, if the tactile sensation of everything on there is uh, as wood, it's temperature neutral. So that's right. why, like, the polarizer knob on the back is wood. All the handles are both wood. Um, all the buttons are – I mean, I went crazy on this thing. Like, it cost me so much more money to make the little clutch plates that slide everything out of pure Teflon rather than, like – really cheap polyethylene because I knew that like the little vaults would slide in and out like really nicely, mm-hmm. you know? And so uh, from a design perspective, there's not a single thing on there that's extraneous. And yet it is the most complicated, most sophisticated system on the market. But every single element is really designed to attack a problem. You know, for example, um, you can take the ND slot, the NDs, uh, the rearmost slot and most NDs you can get light leak and everything. This thing a shooter can go and set critical focus, set critical framing, and they can slip the ND stack in and not change their focus without, change, you know, without having to worry about. Because sometimes you know you yeah. can't see through the you can't see the viewfinder when right. you drop heavy NDs in. So, but if you could just drop it in, shoot, pop it out, and you're rocking. You can do six, eight minute exposures, no light leak. So, it was really a passion project, um, and I'm. Honestly, I'm thrilled with with the outcome, and th- I think the, the the market has responded really well. That's great. People, I get a lot of feedback. I mean, we've had a couple of little hiccups along the way. Um, there's a filter brand out there that is they make great filters. I don't want to talk any crap. I'm not going to say who it is, um, but their filters are like 10 percent thicker than they're supposed to be. Yeah, so they don't slide in. They don't slip in. So yeah. we we redesigned we redesigned the product. So they would fit. And I'm offering free exchanges on the people who receive the ones that don't fit. And we're just doing everything we can so that 
every single person who has it has just like a magical experience with it. And so it's been really, it's been really great. It's been really exciting. Yeah, I think this is such an important thing for me. You and I talked when we were in Cologne together, and um, I live and die by a polarizer behind yeah. the camera. I just for what I do in photographing bottles and uh, liquids and everything that reflects and refracts. I don't know how people live without a polarizer, right? And a good one. Um, it's such an important tool, and it absolutely can change the way an image looks. Oh yeah, it's it's amazing. So well, and if I can give a little anecdote about about polarizers, and I know this is kind of techy and nerdy, or no, that techy nerdy is cool. So um, there are other holder systems, and people offer free polarizers with them. Like, oh well, mine comes with a free polarizer. How come yours doesn't come with a free polarizer? Right? This is filter holder systems. Well, here's why: because the filter, the polarizer they're offering is a half a millimeter thick piece of basically window glass with polarization film on it right that's yeah, junk ours is is fire polished 2.5 millimeter thick shot b270 ultra white glass with eight plus eight anti-reflective coatings on both sides if you look at this thing I have no through, idea what you just said basically what he <laughs> I, i'm gonna break it down in layman's terms what he's saying is that his is truly optical glass it's glass that isn't going to degrade your image in any way. Yeah. Whereas with the other glass that just has a coating on it, yep. it's going to actually diminish focus. It's going to diminish sure. uh, the the dynamic range of your sensor because it just it has a flattening property. It's not the real deal. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's Was that a good way to put it. It's exactly right. Yeah, it's and we did like eight plus eight anti reflective multi coatings on both sides. The thing is to get super nerd out. It, there's a thing called a spectral interferometer, and you can, like, look at how flat the surface of something is. And I went out and bought a phase one, 80 megapixel. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to end up having to buy a 100 megapixel because I want my filters to be useful in that ultra-high megapixel range. So I'm out testing all the time in the 80, 100 megapixel range just so that your average shooters who are shooting – in what is now standard would be like, you know, 37 to 50 megapixels, mm-hmm. know that they're going to get a product that is going to perform for them, right? So, I, I mean, I've invested a huge amount of money in a camera as a tool to go out there and and to say to people, you know what? I tested this with a $36,000 camera right. at, at, um, at a focal length that would, to- that would tear a normal polarizer apart, and I know it's going to work great. And here's the sample images. Rock, rock it out. Tell me if it's great. So you don't think this is overkill? What you're doing is because you're really building for the future. Because cameras, you know, cameras have always been in the sensor race. You know, yeah. it's, it, they're getting bigger all the time. I think that there's probably a limit to a degree. You know, I mean, they are talking. <laughs> Sony's talking about a 150 megapixel sensor now. Um, yeah, that's it's coming this, down the pipe. It's this weird thing. I mean, I my 80 megapixel camera is so resolving. That yeah. it's like freaky, right? Right? It's like forensic. You know, I, I live, I yeah. live at the beach, and I can go to the end of the pier at the beach and take a picture of people on the beach, and I could read what's on their shirt mm-hmm. from a quarter mile away. It's stupid, right? But um, I don't see that slowing down. As a matter of fact, what I see is, is I tend to think that people are going to get to the hundred megapixel mark, and then I think we're going to start to see what we're seeing now, which is better color science, right? Like. The, the cameras are going to be better at doing 80 meg- megapixels than the original 80 megapixel cameras. Just oh, like yeah. if you go today and you bought, just to throw one out there, like a, you know, a Leica M10, right? You know, it's 24 megapixels, 
but it's 24 unbelievably great megapixels. Right. Right. So the sensors are not just getting bigger, they're getting better. They're getting right. light, more, more light sensitive. Um, so yeah, dynamic range is dynamic range is incredible. Col- color rendition has increased. I mean, everything. Yeah, the color science is there. Um, so I don't think it's overkill. You know, I think I think it would be a total mistake for me to build a product that is going to be put out to pasture because cameras get better. Right. right. So I'm willing to invest the money in a good camera. Plus. Get to write it off, and my wife can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I, I like I, I bought a that. Phase One, and I didn't have to sleep on the couch. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was like, "Wow, you bought that for your business? That's awesome." There you go. <laughs> you know, if I would have pulled that out of the home account, you know, it would have been like, "Guess where you're living for the next <laughs> yeah, few months?" Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Now it's a tool and a deduction. Yeah, exactly. So as as someone that's worked for a lot of filter companies, I, I want to talk a little. Bit bit more about the the type the the, the way to buy a correct filter because oh yeah i remember when i was getting into it it was like okay i'm gonna invest in this like l series piece of glass or whatever it is and i'm, I'm gonna have it for a while and it's like well shit all right do i just get the most expensive filter whether it's uh, just a uv filter or a polarizer and then oh shit i've got six lenses i need to get you know six different millimeters for all of them yeah so what do i want to stay away from when i'm looking for um glass to, to put on something like your wine country camera holder? That's actually a, a good question. I can actually help you with that. And and I'm going to give you an answer that is not specific to wine country camera. So I want to give you an answer that, um, that, that basically says there are a bunch of brands that make good filters um, and, and be totally honest with you about that because mm-hmm. there are, there's no question about it. So um, I used to work with a company called Format High Tech. Um, and we, we pioneered a new technology in the market when I was with them. And everybody knows the brand Firecrest, Firecrest filters. People hear about that a lot. Um, we sort of discovered that people were doing a new process called vapor deposition coating. And so in the old days, the way you made filters where you would, you would take a piece of CR39 resin and you would dip it in a tank of dye. And then you would take that filter and you would either have a resin ND which are very popular, um, or you would take that piece of resin and you would sandwich it between two pieces of glass, and then you'd lap it and polish it, and you'd have a glass filter, right? So um, that's, for example, like what Lee does. Lee takes they they dye resin, they squish it between glass, and they make they call them big stoppers. They do um, resin grads; they're really great, and that was sort of the old school technology. Um, as a side note, I think resin filters for grads are actually great. They're undervalued because resin has actually the, the, a, a low index of refraction. So it's actually really sharp. Mm-hmm. Like don't give up on resin grads, folks. That's the lesson here. Save some money. Get a resin grad. They're great. Now, dark NDs is a different story. Super dark NDs, um, when you dye them, you get – uh, when you when you again you go back to spectral infrared and you look at the way that the the light passes, what happens is the dye absorbs different frequencies, right? And so I can't see it on the audio podcast, but I'm making like a little wave with my finger, and it's 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 awesome know, too. There's a like a, there's a dip in the greens, or there's a a peak in the blue, and what those are those are color shifts. Um, and um, the big challenge was as digital sensors came along. 
um, digital cameras see infrared. Um, sorry, is that me? No, that's Rob. Always it was, texting. It was me. Oh, okay. We <laughs> busted. Had, okay. So I'll just... I'll, I'll was be, our last, last yeah, podcaster yeah. getting on my computer yeah, to show busted. us stuff. Busted. So I can redo the line anyway. But um, so, so digital sensors see infrared where film didn't. And what happens is if you put 10 stops or 13 stops or 16 stops of, of filtration in front of uh, a digital sensor, it loads up the sensor with infrared. And it causes all the black areas to get mottled with like magentas and browns and weird colors. So you got to knock that IR. So initially they were called IRNDs. But we sort of discovered this new technology, which is it's rare earth metal coating on glass. Um, and the way that the, the guys at Format High Tech have done it is in order to protect that coating, they, they coat the glass and then they sandwich the glass, right? So you can scratch the filter, you can polish it again. And it stays um, – uh, it's a good long-term investment, mm-hmm. right? Um, there are some little issues with, you know, the fact that you have to put some, some glue in there and you have to glue it. Right. So you might get like a little tiny bit of image degradation from the glue, right, and from the extra layers of substrate. But it was a great first pass. Um, there are other companies out there that are coming to market that use this vapor deposition coating. Nisi, for example. We're, we're gluing one. We're announcing our filters in a couple of weeks. It's going to be called Blackstone ND, um, and I'm kind of because I was part of the process with with sourcing the Firecrest. I'm going. I'm getting sort of like the next generation stuff. It's really going to be great. But if you're a shopper and you're looking for filters, what you're looking for, ideally, you want the shot glass because that's the the good glass, um, and then you're looking for that next generation of the the vapor deposition coating, and and that allows you to get into that 10, 13, 16 stops range without having it go completely blue or go completely one color or the other. Um, and, and I think there are a bunch of uh, companies now that are sort of catching up and catching on. Um, I, think even, I think even maybe even Lee, who have been you know, to the traditional stalwarts of like mm-hmm. the resin, I think they're even moving that direction now. So I think I'm afraid that a lot of our audience is going to think shot glass is something that you you put tequila in. Yeah. Can, can you define S C H O T T? Can you can you define what that is? So it's a it's an optical glass. Um, it's made by a company called Shot. Actually, the actual technical glass is um, their technical thing is called ultra white, um, and it's just it has a, a very crystalline um, sort of um, light transmission. Um, and it's, it's really perfectly suited for, um, for lenses, like any Zeiss lens you've ever bought is, or any, mm-hmm. um, Leica lens you've ever bought. M- most good lenses are made from this shot ultra white glass. Right. Um, it's really the good stuff and, and it's, it's flat. That's a big thing is that the surface is really, really super flat. You know, one, one thing people don't think about is, um, if you have, irregularities in the surface of your glass. Let's say you're doing a, a video. I know you guys have, uh, you know, if you, you do some video, Tons. right? Yeah. So you put a filter, a in fr- bit. You, you, <laughs> you put a filter in front of your camera and it has some surface irregularities. When you pan, you're going to see that yeah, irregularity see warping, warp blah, blah, blah. and pass yeah. through the, 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 the scene, right? So the way to mitigate that is have ultra, ultra flat surfaces. And one of the things about the shot glass is they do an amazing job of, of getting that super flat surface. Right. Um, 
right out of the gates. You know, so you, like problem number one is solved and problem number two is solved too of you have the great, really great high contrast. Um, you don't get a lot of internal reflections. You know, it, it's really great stuff. And again, it's so important because it's optical. And, you know, I think yeah. some people don't think about that though. Um, they'll buy a lens and they're going to put something in, you know, they're going to put a filter or UV filter or something in front of it and they'll want to cut costs, but you've now just degraded the quality of your lens by putting yeah. something not so good or not so optical yeah. in front of it. You've just dumbed down your own lens, which is so not something you want to do. I have this kind of funny theory about workflow, which is like workflow begins at the sun and it comes down and it hits your model <laughs> and then it comes and it reaches my filter first, you know, like, right. Like maybe the like the last piece is like your printer, and everything in between is your is your signal chain, and literally it doesn't get any more out front than the filter, right? Right. And so if you want to screw it up, you could screw it up from the very first step, right? right. <laughs> you yeah. know. So I think it's really important to to get the filter and just nail it from square one because you, then you okay. Like my camera, you know, I'm going to go into a Schneider lens, which is gorgeous, right? And then it's going to go into my camera. And then, you know, hey, I might be a terrible photographer. I might take a terrible picture. But if I make a really great picture, man, do I hope that all the gear that I'm using nails it, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you can't go further upstream than a filter. Are your filters equally at home on still cameras versus the, the motion stuff and the, and the big – particularly the big motion stuff? Yeah. So um, my filters are – primarily driven towards photo mm -hmm. um they will work um so uh, uh vince laferre yeah. has picked up a couple of my units and he just loves them yeah. he's been shooting handheld on like the the gimbals mm -hmm. you know and so he wants a clip-on system that's lightweight so he's been thrilled to use it um however typically what you find with um with cinema guys is they like the four millimeter thick and the Panavision sides, which is right. four by five point six five inches, um, and historically it was because the four mil glass you could polish it really really flat and you could pan. Um, <clears throat> so that was sort of the the main driver. So most diehard cinema guys, you know, if you're if you're using a red camera with a big lens, you're probably going to have a airy matte box. And, yeah, you got a matte box. But if you're shooting, you know, let's say you know a red camera and you're handheld a DJI or or you're using any of the DSLRs. And you want to be a little more mobile. There's no loss of quality. Um, it's just a loss of popularity. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> There's, you know, heaven forbid you save a little bit of money and buy a two millimeter photo filter for your for your um, cinema camera. But so it's applicable in a limited sense, and that's fine. Yeah, you know, sense. I mean, there are a lot of really great cinema filters out there, and I'll just go go buy those. Those are incredible. <laughs> You know, if you want to spend 500 bucks a pop and put it on your big lens, you, you know, yeah. knock yourself out. Are Rattan gels still a thing? Are those around anymore? Or are they are they dying <clears throat> off? I can't even think of the last time I used a Rattan. Um, I would hesitate to recommend a gel filter I, to somebody. I don't even know if they're around. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> uh, Rattans were – so w w in the film days, in the emulsion days, um, you'd have to test your, your film. Every t every time a new emulsion lot would come in, um, you'd have to test your your film to find color neutral, because um, it always was the whites weren't always neutral. So you'd ha sometimes you'd have to put on uh, like five points of green or magenta or blue in order to oh. get the whites white. Um, and we always used rat and gels. They were um, 
cheap and little, and they went on the front of your camera. But again, it's one of those things. It, it definitely degrades the quality. But I think at that point, when you're talking film, the resolving power wasn't nearly as good. You always yeah. had that that um, emulsion grain, and, and you had the, the, the grain structure of whatever you were printing on. So, yeah, I, I, honestly, I don't know if they're still around. That was, that was a serious question. I yeah, they're gone. I, I think there's a good chance that they're they're probably gone. Yeah. I can't say for certain. But you wouldn't want to use it. You, no. you you really wouldn't. It no, was would, more of a point of curiosity. Yeah, it would be such a disservice when you think about the image resolving yeah. power that you it would be tough to put a, a gel filter on a, a modern digital camera. For Sometimes sure. I don't think people consider filters enough. I think, and maybe that's a result of cameras getting better. You know, what I see a lot is everyone has one filter, and it's a UV filter. And yeah. They use it just to protect the protect. front element. Well, yeah, which is, that's honestly a smart investment. If you scratch the front element of your lens, you... what do you think? Should people use a UV? Okay, so <laughs> I, 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 I'm opposite of Rob. Like, I'm like, I don't. I'm just. I'll, I'd rather risk it. Well, okay. So for the longest time, I kind of thought that UV was like the sucker tax. And then, <laughs> yeah, right, right, like, like, like you, that. like you just spent four forty nine on your, uh, you know, five, you know, seven thousand series Nikon, and hey, can I sell you a filter for twenty five more bucks? You yeah, know? it was like I kind of thought that, but then um, I bought my phase, and I was shooting at the beach the other day, and there was all the sea air, and I was like, shit, man, I gotta get a filter for this thing because I don't want my five thousand dollar lens to have like, you know, sand and crap all over it. Yeah, and. Sand, so, I mean, wind blows stuff into the lens. Oh, yeah. And, and so, over time, your front element will um, literally be, quote-unquote, sandblasted. Yeah, so know, I actually bought bit. it. I actually bought the first UV of my life. However— There you go, Gary Martin. Well, yeah. That said, Filter guy just that said the, the other thing, too, is uh, if you're a landscape photographer and you're shooting um, above, say, 5,000 feet MSL, say you're in the Alps and you're shooting at seven or eight or 9,000 feet— and you're shooting the high mountain peaks, you know the blue uh, uh, that you, the additional UV that you get at high uh, altitudes will absolutely blue cast your shots. Mm -hmm. And so, if you find um, a really good UV filter that has the um, uh, like a 400 nanometer cutoff, you know what? It's going to make a difference. It will genuinely make a difference because you're not going to overload your sensor. And so if you're shooting snow, for example. Yeah, snow can be really dangerous for yeah. the sensor. And well, yeah, you'll you'll overload your sensor. You won't be able to bring it back. Like if right. you go to recover your highlights, if you don't have that really good, you know, 350 or 400 nanometer UV filter on there, you actually are doing yourself a disservice. You know, I would say above 5,000 feet, right, if you're, a, right. if you're a high altitude landscape guy. Um, so, you know, it's a personal preference thing. Like Vince Lafray, he's a good friend of mine. We we're chatting one day. He said to me, Oh, yeah, I throw my lens cap away and I use a UV filter. He goes, because then you just pull your camera up and shoot anytime you want, right? Because it's a speed thing for It's him, a speed yeah. thing, right? Because he was a. He was I a can journalist. never find my. my uh, no, lens you cap. can't. <laughs> I think I, that, that's, that's good. Let's just throw them away. There you go. Just, I mean, just no. replace them with UV filters. Let's not well, throw them Vince away. Vince LaFrey's doing it? I don't care. <laughs> I want to keep them. I'm going to ask him about good, this tomorrow. I think it's a good thing to still protect it. We can. I'm throwing them away. <laughs> no, but that's a really good question because, you know, if you're shooting your kids at home all the time, you know, you probably you probably don't need it. But, you yeah. know, if you're getting out there and you're shooting out in the wild and you want to protect your gear We're a little bit, sand. sure, what the hell? I mean, it's cheap. Yep. It, it's cheap 
insurance. Remember that time we were shooting in the desert mm-hmm. and it was windy mm-hmm. in the sand mm-hmm. and it literally sandblasted all of the hair off of your leg because mm-hmm. you were wearing shorts. Mm-hmm. It was nuts. <laughs> literally, we looked down and Rob's like, all the hair off the back of my leg, which well, is where the wind was coming gone. from, was completely gone. It hurt. Oh, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> God, I, it was it was our sound guy is totally left right now. He's trying to picture this, dude. I had no hair in the back of my legs, only the back of my legs. It was weird. It's funny, you know. It it filters. Okay, so back to your question a minute ago. People don't often think of filters, um, and I suspect that you get a lot of people who you're working with that are um, um, sort of fashion oriented and such. Mm. And uh, there are opportunities to do really cool creative stuff with. With filters, oh, so God, yeah. I was in uh, I was in Vienna. I was shooting with Frank Dorhoff, um, and we had a we had a prototype sixteen stop filter, and he's like, "Okay, here's what I'm going to do." He's like, "I'm going to put the sun, the sun ball, right behind the model's head, and then we're going to crank the flash up, and I'm going to shoot it at one four, <laughs> and I'm going to use the sixteen stop filter, right?" So we're like, "Okay." So he gets this crazy like outlandish. You know, super stylish, you know, dress. And she's like made up in kabuki makeup and all this crazy stuff. And then he's like cranking up the flash. And all of a sudden, and he goes, and he goes, okay. And he frames and he goes, okay, filter in. And I would stick the filter in. And then I would just hear the flash just go, <laughs> right? <laughs> Poor and model's like, blind. The model was just getting vaporized, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just vaporized. And this is at like a workshop, right? So he's like doing crazy crap that he would normally not do. And uh, the filter came out, the the, the photo came out so good. It ended up going in his portfolio. But the poor model, I mean, thank heaven she had like the kabuki makeup on because she would have been like fried to a crisp (laughs) if she didn't, right? (laughs) Yeah, you're cutting out 16 stops of light. Yeah. Yeah, so you had to pound her with light. It was like percussive light. (laughs) You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I've heard that sound many times. Many times. It was totally cool. (laughs) So what would be a good kit that you'd recommend everyone to go out and get? Like you got to have these filters. Yeah, so the basics, um, the basic filters, um, don't overdo it. Uh, three, six, and ten stops are pretty rock and roll. Um, two and three stops of ND grad are pretty great. Um, if you had five, those five filters, you could pretty much conquer the world. A couple specialty filters are out there, like uh, there's a thing called a reverse grad, which is darker in the middle, lighter at the top. And that's for shooting sunsets and sunrises where the sun balls like right on the horizon. That's kind of cool. It's a very specialized thing. Like, you know, yeah. you know, like I live at the beach. I shoot a perfectly flat horizon and I shoot <laughs> at sunrise and sunset. So um, that's kind of a specialty thing. But uh, the, the long exposure guys, uh, so 10 stops is going to get you like 30 seconds to a minute. 13 stops is like kind of two and a half minute range. And 16 stops is about six minutes of exposure. Um, those are your kind of sweet spots for the dark NDs. Um, if you had if you had to pick two filters, I would get a six stop ND and a two stop grad, um, and then your polarizers. I was going to say, dude, uh, my first filter would always be a polarizer. Well, I yeah, think. the polarizer is yeah. all right. So circular, you can, do, you, or... can do so, you can do so much with a pol- polarizer. So there's two types two. of polarizers, yeah, yeah. So circular, and what's the other one? Linear. Linear. So what are the benefits of either one? You, test test time. You can't buy a, lin- a linear polarizer. Oh, you anymore. can't. Yeah. There was some discussion that uh, certain autofocus systems would not work with a, yeah. cer- with a linear polarizer, so they started making circular polarizers. Um, 
and linear polarizers have gone by the wayside. And I don't. I think you can still. I think you can still get them from Lee. You probably can. Um, yeah. I don't think you're going to notice a visible that much yeah. of a visible difference between the two. Um, and, and actually, there's some debate as to whether or not uh, the linear polarizer will work with the autofocus system. I, yeah, I think, no, I think most people just believe that it won't, so they don't use them. But um, <laughs> I think the autofocus is sort of caught up in the CMOS age. Right. And so, um, you know, I think uh, a safe bet is a good – is any any decently good um, – uh, polarizer um, and then you know you can use a polarizer that's built into a system like mine um, but if you want to get a circular one you know you kind of look for the things that you yeah. should be looking for like um, like we said shot glass we've said it a million times brass rings are always nice because they don't bind yeah. the threads um, the thicker the polarizer the better in my opinion because you get flatter surface yeah and the, you know, binding the threads is beast that's if a bitch you've yeah. never got if you've never gotten a you know, filter stuck on the front of a, a lens oh it's so hard yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so that's why brass is nice it's yeah nice and soft and it just gets on there really and that's that's where cheap filter companies will save cash the, yeah. the threads will not be good which you're, yeah. you're gonna have trouble later well that's the the thing i really like about um something like the wine country camera holders that if you get let, let's say you have like you know seven of the l series you know lenses you have to buy the same filter system if you're going to get the screw on ones for all of them. So if you just buy, you know, a square yeah. one of these, you just buy the one. Yeah, you, you buy one and it works for all your lenses. Yeah, so you, and save, then you buy all the adapters. I made like early on. I made that mistake. I didn't even know that was a possibility. I went out there and just dropped all the money to like get a set <laughs> for each. All the money. All, all the money. All the money. And back then, it was all the money. It was right. Yeah, all, it was. The, all the monies. <laughs> back when he was. And I've just sent thousand air. And I've just since lost all of them because I can't keep, I can't keep track of, uh, you know, Anything. the lens caps <laughs> or any of them. Yeah. Polarizers are totally cool. But if you really think for a minute about what they do yeah, and you think, oh, it just blocks like light, stray light from one direction and I can control it. Um, there's so many creative possibilities. Yeah. It's neat. Have you seen that film that Roscoe makes? It's like really high end um, for like it's TV a, broadcasts. It's, it's polarizing. You can just completely knock out an entire window. Window. Yeah. Oh, wow. man. Oh, that's cool. But you have to use it with their polarizer. Yeah, yeah you have to then put the, yeah, the circular polarizer on it. Oh, yeah. Right. But it just completely knocks out, and it doesn't have any of that rainbowing that... Right, which is a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. That yours does. I've... Yeah, that's that's been a problem at, at times. Um, do you have any of that? Rainbowing in the glass? Have you, have you, no, I haven't seen that. Good. I've seen, I've seen that if you accidentally install the glass backwards... The polarizer, instead of changing the polarization, it actually changes from yellow to blue. What? <laughs> yeah. Like if you put a polarizer on backwards, it actually is, it makes a color shift. I've never seen that. Yeah. I like, guess I've never put it on backwards. I'll send you a broken one. <laughs> 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 You're not putting it on backwards. You're not living. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not living. <laughs> if you haven't done that, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I found out the hard way on that one. I was like, I was getting production samples. I was like, these things suck. And then I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> and I went with a little, you know, with the little screwdriver. And then I, oh wait, no, these are really good. How hard was was it to figure out how to manufacture all this stuff? I mean, obviously you had a leg up because you've been in the business for a while. But um, building those relationships with the manufacturer was that was that a tough one? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it took a long time to get that in place. I'm sure. Yeah, uh, I'm lucky in that I have a partner who's a who's an importer who um, has a ton of experience um, bringing photo gear in from Asia. And also it really helps that the last company I worked for was bought by 
a big Japanese company. So mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time in Asia in the last five years. And, um, you know, it, it's really interesting to see um, import, to, to import products from Asia and to see, like, the differences in the culture and stuff. And, um, uh, you know, when you go to, like, if you buy something that says made in Japan, you can pretty much be assured that it's going to be the best possible thing that they could probably make because there's, like, honor on the line. You know, yeah. um, if something says made in Japan on it, if you buy a filter from Japan or even like a guitar from Japan or something, like they take it so seriously that that, that the idea of being ashamed of of a product that you produce and having come back to you would, is like so um, reprehensible yeah, to them a, as a like culture. Yeah, it's like a suicidal thing for them yeah. as a culture. Yeah, and so, so – It's amazing. I mean just like every little detail, they just nail it. And so uh, – it's been really cool to see, to to be exposed to the different cultures and the the way that people do things differently around the world. Um, and I have a lot of uh, confidence in products that are sourced from other parts of the world. I mean, I know that a lot of people are really nationalistic and want to say, you know, buy American, and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, hey, we do the best we can to try and – Yeah, you know – if my holder system was made in America, I'd have to sell it for twenty five hundred bucks, right? I mean, I just can't do that. If I was making yep. a map box, I probably would make it in America, right? But photo market, really? Why? Because uh, I because that, I that's could. the cost you can yeah, yeah because can those are know, expensive. You look at a bright tangerine map box, and they're three grand, and you go, okay, it's made in the UK, and they're almost like artisans who are building it. And so, sure, okay, I could try that. I think that going forward, I think services, uh, I think, I think manufacturing from the in the United States is on the is on the wane. And I know we're getting kind of a little bit off the topic and political here, but um, I think focusing on services and technology is where we're headed as a country, and we can't deny it. Um, and you know, the the Joe factory worker is is getting pushed out and heading towards retirement. But I hope their kids are going and learning about uh, about services. And learning about technology, mm-hmm. and learning about um, um, you know supply chain and demand and consumerism and all these other things, and not worry about being the guy who like you know threads stuff into something that's going into somebody's hands. You know, um, it's probably a very polarizing view, but I think it's a somewhat realistic worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, and frankly, uh, you know, in some ways, you have Apple to thank for the you know. 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you go in, into China and the products that are coming out would just be kind of garbage. Nowadays, you're getting extraordinary products. I mean, look at your iPhone. Look at the tolerances on the button. And there, right. there aren't any. You know, it's like it's like the old joke about the German definition of quality is like plus or minus nothing, and we uh, on the high side. You know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I've good. never heard that. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I haven't either. I, I like that. I'm using that. <laughs> so I mean, that's that's the that's the level of quality of investment that you're getting out of Asia, and and you know they have a a booming economy based on they have a booming economy based on manufacturing. We are transitioning to a booming economy based on services mm. and technology. Great. Perfect. Okay. We all both have a balance. That's great. Right. And and I've been really impressed both with um, the relationships that I've had with people around the world who are manufacturing for me um, and and the, the, the mutual respect. I mean, people are people everywhere you go. 
and the people are, that are in Asia, you know, they get up in the morning, they go to work just like you do, you know, they have a job and uh, they take pride in it. And so um, it's just the way the world works right now. But I, I found that people are pretty lovely wherever we go, you know, and I, I certainly absolutely as a manufacturer do not look at it and just go, oh, man, I can buy stuff cheap out of China and screw those guys. You know, I, I regularly am emailing with people at the factory and, and thanking them for their good work and, you know, being really appreciative of, of the knowledge that the production engineers have mm-hmm. and the solutions that they're bringing to the table with regards to materials, material sciences. I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, really, really, really talented, wonderful, lovely people. Well, it shows because you've got an incredible product. That's well, I really, really cool. I really appreciate that. You know, it's it, it was the biggest gamble I've ever taken in my life, you know, to try and fund the start of the company, um, you know. So how's it going so far? It's great. It's really been great. Um, the, the, the reception has been really wonderful. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm my own customer service guy. I talk to people every single day, all hours of the day. And um, I just have people who are already passionate about what we're doing. And, um, you know, I get people out of the blue, you know, when you're in the photo industry, you get, yeah, every day you get some guy who's like, I'm Joe, you know, I'm Joe Instagram and I want free stuff, you mm-hmm. know? And, uh, you know, my, my way I think about this is if I wasn't willing to go camping with you, I'm not willing to give you any equipment, right? I make professional gear for professionals, so you should buy it so I can stay in business and you can have product. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people with whom I am having, uh, sponsorships, um, are people who really understand what I'm trying to do from philosophical and passion level. People who I'm, who I'm bringing to the table are people who, who I genuinely care about and who genuinely care about what I'm doing Mm -hmm. and are going to help me on that journey. And I don't mean even to say, oh, well, this person posts about me a lot, Right. Some people aren't going to ever talk about my product. They might not even be on social media, mm-hmm. but they represent the passion and the soul of the brand. So if you're, if you have 6 million followers on Instagram or whatever, and you think you deserve it, guess what? You ain't getting it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but, it, but you know, if we have a really great relationship where I feel like you're being you have integrity as an artist and you and you care about the photo community and you care about the people with whom we associate and you're willing to to grow with me then hey let's talk mm-hmm. you know um and i think that that should be um i think that should be represented for any company in this industry who has representatives who has ambassadors right you shouldn't just go, oh, I'm going to have 500 ambassadors. And people look at your company and go, well, every single buddy is an ambassador for that guy. No. Okay, that's one way to do it. The other way to do it is to say, I really care about you and I really respect you. And I actually had to remove one of my ambassadors because one of my ambassadors was getting bullied by another filter company because they wanted the whole package. You know, they wanted – and my ambassador said, well, I want to use your holder – and somebody else's filters. And I said, great. I want you to use my holder. And I don't care whose filters you use because if you feel as an artist that those are the best for you, then go do it. Like mm-hmm. yeah. I would rather come somebody come to me and say, you know what? I found something better. I'm, I'm gone. 
than to have somebody say, I'm getting bullied by this other company, so I'm going to go with them. And I was like, get out of my face. <laughs> Return my product. Yeah. I'm yeah. taking you off my website. Have some self-respect. Right. Have some respect for, for what you're doing as an artist, especially because this person is not a commercial photographer. This is a fine art photographer. And I just was aghast at, like, how could I, – I almost felt like I screwed up even bringing them into the fold. Yeah. And, I, and I've said to them, like, you need to do whatever you need to do as an artist first and foremost, period, end of story. People will respect that, mm -hmm. you know. And if you're getting bullied by some two-bit marketing guy at another filter company and you're going to change what you do and the way you do things because of that, get out of here. Right. That's ridiculous. So principle. It's principles, man. Yeah. It really is. And I think the thing about this is it goes back to what I was saying in the very beginning about the community. This is a community. You know, um, every, every person who's a photographer is somebody who loves what they do, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. It's a lot of work. I always joke. Photographers are all thousand errors, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty true. <laughs> you know, I mean, there, there are like maybe a handful of people in the photography industry who are like getting rich as photographers. And we all know who they are. But everybody else is fighting. Every day they're fighting for the guy who says, well, can you do this one for free for exposure? And can you do this for us? And, well, I really don't want to pay. And you know what? The people who are making it as professionals, they have some guts and some moxie. Mm -hmm. And and I feel like I'm a part of that community, even though, to be honest with you, I don't have the guts to be a freelance guy. I have the guts to start my own company, but I don't, I don't have the guts to, like, finish a job one day and the next day go, all right, where is my meal coming from? So can I go hustle yeah. another job? Because even the best guys that I know who are big time, they're fighting just as hard. As the guy at the bottom, they're just fighting for a bigger piece, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I feel like that I really genuinely feel this is a community. This is my family. This is my extended family, right? That's cool. It's it, a good approach. Yeah. And, I, really and, and approach. the thing is, is you don't burn your family, right? right? You don't right. burn your family ever. Unless it's Uncle Steve. Uncle Steve deserves it. Everybody's yeah, he's got, a joker. Everybody's <laughs> got an Uncle Steve that they got to deal with, you know, but... It, I don't know. Where do, you, where do you want people to go to find out more about you and your stuff? Uh, the, uh, the website is winecountry.camera, www.winecountry.camera. Ah, nice. I was one of the it's early adopters yeah. of the dot .camera, yeah. um, not the dot .com. But, uh, the dot .camera boom. The mm -hmm. dot .camera, yeah. <laughs> I'm that Going guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like the one guy Are who's the only a, guy. <laughs> probably, yeah. That's the thing. It absolutely doesn't matter. Like it, people get so hung up on like, oh, it's got to be a dot com. No one remembers your websites. How yeah. how SEO rich can you make your all you know the whole website? Yeah, no matter what your URL is. Yep, and we do we do uh, um, Instagram, Facebook, and a half hearted attempt on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that's honest. Twitter, like yeah, Twitter. I mean. It's not a visual platform. No. Instagram for sure. Twitter's a lot of chatter. I love Instagram. Cuts out all the BS and you get right to the heart of it. Uh, Instagram. Instagram's really cool. Um, yeah. Facebook's great. It's a good tool to reach a lot of people. Um, and yeah, and winecountry.camera. 
And who are the rest of the um, ambassadors? I think you call them aficionados. Aficionados, yes. Yeah, who, are who, wine aficionados. Who are the uh, who are those photographers, and where can we uh, go to see their work? So we have a page. We actually have a page on the uh, of aficionados uh, on winecountry.camera. Um, off the top of my head, um, some really cool people around the world. I have uh, um, Lucas Gilman, who uh, his concept is a uh, little person, big world. Yep. Um, I have. David Brookover, um, David, in my opinion, is without question the finest landscape photographer in the world. He shoots mostly eight by ten. He shoots exclusively for fine art. He rarely posts anything online. Um, All the good ones do. I'm not going to get the great ones do. I mean, he is he is he's the guy who developed Provia for Fuji. He did. Yeah, he worked for Fuji for 15 years in house. Lived in Japan. Seriously? Traveled all over the world. He was the dude who came up with like Velvia and Provia. Man, I shot that stuff forever. Right? Velvia particularly. I like lived his, off of it. His prints are like 65 grand and they're like Ansel Adams good. Wow. Yeah. I mean. Oh, I got to learn about this guy. Recovers the man. And like it's a bummer because his website's not that great. I'm trying to help him with the website. But like you go into his gallery and you're going to be hard pressed to get your jaw off the floor. It's He's in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. The guy's incredible. Yeah, right um I have some people uh, – I have a good friend in uh, Dubai, Danny Aid, who is a um, kind of a landscape travel photographer. Um, who else do I have on there? Um, uh, Brian Matayash. Oh, Brian, yeah. Sharon, Joey. Yeah, so – yeah, Joey Skibel was actually my old um, neighbor, but he's an amazing, amazing commercial and fine art photographer. Um, he had a cool neighborhood. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Sharon Tenenbaum is uh, one of the real pioneers of the long exposure um, uh, movement, you know, that sort of eight minute exposure, right. lots of black and white, um, really, really amazing gal. Um, she's a really good friend. She gave me a print, which is like hanging up in my living room. It's like gigantic, beautiful print. And, um, yeah, just, some, just, and Brian, Matisse, you know, he was the head of uh, the photo community at Google for a long time. Oh yeah, yeah. And he's a great photographer from the Northwest. Um, really a great shooter, a great friend. Um, and I've got some more people on the horizon, uh, for sure. Laferay was on yeah. there. Um, I was actually a little bit hesitant to ask him because, you know, this is a history of him being kind of like a big social media guy. Like yeah. he's the first dude to ever shoot a 5D Mark II with at 1080p, you know? And yeah. it was like the, the camera that changed everything. Yeah. He shot Reverie and that started everything. everything. Yeah. Right. And so I was sort of like, uh, I, I said to him, Hey, you know, um, I don't want to come to you hat in hand and ask you to be an ambassador because we've been in the game together a long time. We've been through the DSR, the DSLR revolution. So um, I want you to have a couple holder systems and enjoy them. And I'm, and I'm not going to ask you to be an ambassador. And he was like, well, I kind of want to be an ambassador. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> awesome. Cool. You know, and nice. yeah. And like uh, – I saw him today and he was just like thrilled to see me. And he's been a huge advocate of the product and it's just something I didn't expect, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was really great. It was, that was really meaningful for me. Awesome. Um, and it, it's interesting, you know, some people, probably some naysayers are like, oh, you know, Lafaray, he's been a social media guy forever, blah, 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 blah. You know what? He's a great human being. He yeah. really is. You know, everybody on there is on there because they're good people. And I would take him camping. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's the litmus test. That's the litmus test. Like I wouldn't take Steve Jobs camping if he was still alive. <laughs> I don't yeah, care how much money or what he did, but not not happen. 
but yeah. these guys, I love all these people. They're going to be awesome. Well, we're super excited for you. Again, really Thanks, cool man. product. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so much time and effort has gone into it. It really pays off. It's really showing. Thanks. I really appreciate it. And I hope to do more stuff with RGG EDU in the future. Yeah, we'd really love be to. A, a great, um, I've always been a great advocate and supporter of your brand. And awesome. really excited I appreciate it. that. So, yeah, you guys do amazing, amazing right. stuff. So Awesome. Well, thank, thank you. you for taking the time out of your week to come by and say hi. Oh, man. The pleasure is all mine. In a, NAB night two, what's go, what's on your agenda? Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm going to do the Kessler party right over here at the Palms in the Ghost Bar and try and not drink too much. <laughs> <laughs> That's the key to, to NAB. A common problem That's here. That's the key to NAB. Don't drink yeah. too much. I uh, avoided it last night. I, I needed a night just to chill. We've been on the road a lot. I just no. chilled out. Yeah. Hand over heart. I, other the, people uh, the, did not fare the, so well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the honest story is one of the dudes from phase one uh, connected with me at uh, a WPPI. And he was like, I want to let loose tonight. And the dude's like 130 pounds. He drank me under the table. And it was pretty rough. <laughs> so <laughs> I came back this trip and I'm like, you know, like, okay, I, I got to be a good boy this time. Like I can't yeah. really, I can't do like the scotch for scotch, you know. Right. I, I outweigh the dude by 100 pounds and he still like put me into blackout mode. So, I have to, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I have to act like I'm an adult. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, I know, right? Well, this yeah. episode has been brought to you by Blackout Mode. <laughs> to find out more about this, go to Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, uh, this episode is brought to you by I Threw Up Last Night. <laughs> <laughs> to download this podcast and the entire season and all of our seasons, go to rggedu.com and also check out winecountry.camera. Absolutely. Get one or two or more or three. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Well, that was interesting. It's not every day you get to hear people laughing and drinking more than I do. This podcast is brought to you by Sakonic, where being a professional means being consistent with your exposure, no matter the situation. Sakonic light meters not only help photographers and filmmakers get it right in camera, they help them create a consistent style and save hours of post-production time. Head to Sakonic.com to learn more about their collection of time-saving tools and to see how they can help you become the professional you're meant to be. 